worthy, 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 worthy. Praise the name of the Lord. If you would open with me to the book of Jude, the book of Jude. The book of Jude, the epistle of Jude. It is right before the book of Revelation. We're almost there, church. We're almost there. I know y'all want to get to Revelation. Y'all are like, come on now. We're going to get there after, after Easter. But we're in the book of Jude, the epistle of Jude. Short book, 25 verses. We'll be here for the next few weeks walking through what he is communicating to us. I want to speak about defending the faith. The book of Jude, when you got it, say so. And it says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Father, thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you for being the living word. And Holy Spirit, thank you for being in this place now. Lord, as we have worshipped you in song, let us continue to worship you in mind, in heart. As we focus in on your truth, may you speak to us. May we be attentive to your voice, and may we respond to you in faith. We pray this all in the mighty name of our good Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. The book of Jude, again, is a short book. And as we are in this series that we're starting, it is important for us to realize that Jude is communicating. He starts, and as we'll see this next week, he is starting in his writing to encourage the faith of the people he's writing to, and then he is deterred, like immediately, from what his original intent was to then lead them into the defending of the faith. And why is this important? Because one of the things that is heavily under attack in our days is the truth. The truth is... is under attack in our days in big ways, and we need to recognize that. The church is supposed to be the conveyors of truth. We are supposed to be the ones who have the truth of God and who are communicating to a world that needs the truth. We're supposed to be doing that, and yet truth is under attack. And as a society, I think that we would probably, just to give you some examples, I think that we would probably... Say, with one of our, you know, famous atheists of the 20th century, he was in a conversation with one of our famous theologians of the 20th century, Nacho Libre, and Nacho asked him, you have not been baptized? And he said, no, I have not been baptized. I believe in science. And so we would probably say, along with Esqueleto, if you haven't seen Nacho Libre, you need to see the movie, all right? 
But if you, it's, it's dumb. I'm just going to tell you right now. It's dumb, slapstick, comedy, and, but it's hilarious if you just like to sit down and not use your brain too much and just laugh. But, you know, anyway, you know, so I, I'm, I'm that kind of guy. Like, I need those moments, right, where I don't have to think. I'm thinking all the time. I'm, 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 I'm always contemplating, and that's why I'm bald. Amen. I'm just letting you know. You know, busy roads can't keep grass, I guess. That's what they say. But anyway, anyway. But we believe in science, like legitimately, do we not? Like that's the thing. But you know, I was reading something just the other day, and the way that science is set up is that what can be absolutely true today can be absolutely untrue tomorrow. That sounds kind of crazy, does it not? What is 100% true today, tomorrow can be, nope, that's a lie, that wasn't true. Just, just, just go back to 2020, right? Just, just listen, do your own research. Don't listen to CNN or Fox or whoever your favorite person, MSNBC, NPR, whoever. Forget all them for a moment. Just go back and just, just Google all of the coronavirus interviews. Just, just interview all of the conversation. And, and listen, just, just Google Dr. Fauci. Hallelujah. That's all you got to do. And you will see like, what? He said that over here? But what's he doing? Listen, listen. I want to argue all that. Here's what I want to say, is that we have this, this is the way that science has been set up. And there are people, check it out now, who reject God based upon something that can be true today and a lie tomorrow. How about our Constitution? What about that? Our Constitution is not a living document. In other words, it's not meant for it to be like reinterpreted and, you know, re. No, 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 recalibrated and all that. No, 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 no. It's a, it's a document that was written to govern us, to lead us. You can amend it. Amen. Are you here? America, you, you, can, you can put amendments and all that kind of stuff, but you cannot just reinterpret stuff. And then there are these people. They're called constitutionalists. You know what they are, right? You know, they, they're, they're, they're people who they are constitutionalists. They say, hey, we take the Constitution literally, and we want to apply law literally, right? This is, the, this is true. This is what truth is for our nation. And yet, you know what? It's funny. It's funny because you'll find one constitutionalist will argue with another constitutionalist about how to interpret the Constitution. Come on now. It's tough stuff, is it not? You see, and these same things are creeping into the church when it comes to the scripture. See, as people who are living in the world where foundations are seemingly so easily shaken, God alone offers us truth that does not change, that is unshakable, that is trustworthy. And check it out, it is liberating. You see, our truth is not just, see, we have, we have a, it is, it is a book that is living in one sense because it is not up for uh, interpretation. It is not up for, you know, us to re, 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 reinterpret what the scriptures mean. It is living in the sense that these are not just dead words on, on the pages of a book. The scriptures say that God's word is living. It is active. It discerns the thoughts of man, like, you know, the cutting of the bone and the marrow. It's the divine soul and spirit. God's word is living. It is truth that stands the test of time. And Jesus said something that I think is so powerful and important. He said what? You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You will know the truth, not a truth. 
not some version of truth. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Friends, I want you to know something, that in reality, looking at the Constitution, the Constitution has no power to set you free. In and of itself, it has no power to set you free. Listen, science can direct you and guide you and all that stuff That's if it's good science. And again, good science can be good today and bad tomorrow. But anyway, that's another topic. But the word of God, see, as we were singing that song about it, and, and, and we came to that end portion where we're talking about the name of Jesus. I love when Marisol said that she quotes Hebrews. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He does not change. You know what that means? Truth does not change. I want you to think about this. Truth is found in a person who has given us his word and produces a defendable faith, a defendable faith. Here's what I want you to know is that God's word doesn't change. And in 20 years from now, in two years from now, tomorrow, God's truth will be God's truth in his word. No matter how someone interprets it. No matter how someone tries to put a twist on it, no matter what someone tries to do, the truth of God's word doesn't change. And we as Christians should rejoice in that because that means that the same power that God's word had 2,000 years ago, guess what? It has today. We as believers have to come to terms with that. But truth is found in a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. Jesus declared, I am the truth, I am the life, I am the way. This is what Jesus declared. No one comes to the Father, but through me, I am the truth, not a truth. I am the truth. Jesus is the embodiment of truth. He is the embodiment of God's word that is living and active. He's given us, he has given us his word. Would you repeat this after me? Say, who is Jude? Thank you for asking. Thank you for asking. It's always good to be in a place where people are inquisitive. So who is Jude? Jude is the half-brother of Jesus. As you, as you study this out, you'll, you'll know this, and it's important. I want to just lay a foundation today of, for, for us for the next few weeks as we'll be together. The person who is writing matters because it, it offers credence. It offers, it offers credibility to the letter that we're reading. If you, if someone tells your child or your spouse or your neighbor, hey, so-and-so said such-and-such, and that person is not credible, you're going to be like, really? Did it, did, you, know, you might send a text message, you know, or something like that and be like, hold on a second. Dad, did you say it? Because I don't sound like you. That doesn't sound like something that you would say. However, we have a person here by the name of Jude. And so most scholars would agree. And you, if you're taking notes, you can write down Mark chapter 6, verse 3, is, is where we see the, 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 the names of the brothers, half-brothers, half-sisters of Jesus. He had brothers and sisters. In other words, Mary did not only give birth to Jesus. That, that is a lie. She didn't remain a virgin. Are you here? She had a regular relationship. She was a sinner just like you and I. Now, now we have to give credit where credit is due, right? God did choose her and said that she found favor. So I think that she deserves some honor. Would you say amen? It doesn't mean that we have to venerate her and worship her because she is not, she is not like the second person of the Trinity. That's not true. She is not a mediator between God and man. She gave birth to the mediator between God and man, and that was Jesus Christ. 
1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7, it tells us that James, is, or, or James, the apostle Paul, mentions James as one who is the brother. He is the brother of Jude, or Judas, as you look at in, in, in the book of Mark chapter 6, verse 3. His, his name is translated Judas there. But James and Jude are brothers, but I want you to know why this is so important. Because they did not come to faith in Jesus until after the resurrection, Again, if you're taking notes, John chapter 7, verse 5, it says that his brothers did not believe in him. The book of John, the gospel of John, is all about what? It's all about building faith. It's all about creating the, uh, the ability for someone to hear these words and believe, to have faith in who Jesus is. The gospel of John points to these signs, not just miracles, check this out now, points to these signs that Jesus does that are doing what? That are pointing to his deity. And yet, while he was walking the earth, while the gospel of John was being lived out, not written, check it out now, while he's walking the earth, his brothers are like, bro, we don't believe in you. <laughs> we, we, we pillow fought with you, man, you know? Like, like you know, it's, it's that kind of relationship. Like, you know, we, we wrestled with you, you know? We've seen you now. Now, they weren't going to blame Jesus for sinning because Jesus was sinless. But I know you, bro. Come on, man. I know you. I see you. And yet, when you look at this, I mean, think about it for a minute. They grew up with Jesus, did they not? They grew up with him. I mean, we don't know the age difference, but they were, they, they were obviously adults already at the time that Jesus was 33. So it would be assumed that they were born, you know, around, you know, the same age, you know, same time or whatever. And so they grew up with him. They saw him grow up. They saw his miracles. They heard his preachings probably. They heard what his mom and his dad his, his earthly father had said about him. They heard from their cousin John who said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And yet, they didn't believe. They didn't believe. They didn't, they didn't just jump on the Jesus bandwagon. Hello. Until after the resurrection. I want you to notice what Jude doesn't do. Jude does not. Look what he says here. Jude a bondservant of Jesus Christ. He does not say Jude, the half-brother of Jesus. He doesn't say Jude, the brother of Jesus. He doesn't do that. He doesn't focus on his biological relationship. What he does is he says who his brother is, James, the brother of James. He calls himself a bondservant. He, he, he embraces this servant attitude. What he does is he doesn't maximize his biological relationship with Jesus. He maximizes or focuses on his spiritual relation to Jesus. This is what Jude does. He focuses on that for us. I don't know, maybe, and, and this is me, this is my conjecture. I, I'm not saying that this is fact because we don't know why he did not mention that he was Jesus' brother. Maybe he didn't want to like, make people think, hey, listen to me. Because I'm Jesus' brother. Because then someone will come back and say, bro, listen to you. You didn't even believe him. Hello. There may have been some embarrassment, right? He might have been embarrassed. I would have been embarrassed. I'm just saying. Like, I, I would have changed my name or something like that. I don't know. Because, like, I didn't believe in Jesus, and then he rises again. Man, I can't believe I'm such an idiot. Why, why wasn't I one of the first ones to believe? Why, why did I have to wait for something miraculous to happen beyond what had already happened? And so we have Jude, maybe he was, but we don't really know what it is. But here's what I see here when we read the text, is that we understand this, that Jude is pointing out, listen, not everybody can be part of the biological family of Jesus, but everybody can be part of the spiritual family of Jesus. 
Everybody, not only that, can be part of the spiritual family. But when we come to understand who Jesus is, we should become bondservants. And in some translations, which would be correct, right, is, is the word there, it would actually be bond slaves. Because, because, because um, Jude went from being a person who did not believe that Jesus was who Jesus said until Jesus rose from the dead. And then he became a person who gave his life and his allegiance to Jesus forever. That's what he does. He becomes this servant. He becomes this, this person who understands, man, I missed it for 33 years and, you know, the, the, the time that Jesus was here. But from every day after this resurrection, I am his slave. I will reverence him. I will worship him. See, it wasn't a dirty word here, all right? So, so the, the, he wasn't seeing it. He was saying, this is the level of devotion that I have to Christ because of what he has done. Looking at Jude's conversion, what should happen? Well, our faith should be built stronger. Again, he walked with Jesus more intimately than most. And for him to surrender his life to Jesus as Lord should only solidify the resurrection. So church, just in this first verse here, what do we see here? We see a pure and great defense of the resurrection. Get that. This is a brother of Jesus that did not believe who Jesus was, who Jesus declared he was while he was on the earth, and yet now we have him writing a letter saying, I'm the bond slave. I'm the bond servant of Jesus because I know that that Jesus that walked on this earth, that Jesus that I pillow fought with, I made that up. That's nowhere in the, in the scripture. You don't know if they even had pillows back then. I, probably, I doubt it. But anyway, maybe we had hay fights. I don't know. I, I don't have any idea. That Jesus that I doubted, that Jesus that I was like, this dude is crazy. He done lost his mind. He thinks he's the son of God. Hello. I doubted him. No longer do I doubt. No longer do I have any question. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, who is Jude writing to? Great question. Great question. You guys are full of questions today. Hallelujah. Who is Jude writing to? The title of this message is The Author and the Audience. Who is he writing to? So when we look at Jude's words, look what he says here in the second half of verse 1. He said, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. To those who are called, sanctified by God the Father. Some of your versions may say loved by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. There's some debate as to whether that is sanctified or loved. I'll talk about that in a moment. But why is it important for us to think about this? Well, first of all, who Jude is writing to specifically, we don't know. We don't know if he was writing to, you know, the church in Jerusalem. We don't know if he was writing to, you know, the church of Philippi. This is more of a general epistle because we don't know the specifics to who he was writing to. However, we know that who he was writing to in general is clear. An angel said it. He was writing to the church. He was writing to the church. How do we know that? Because of the language that he uses to write to them. Because of the words that he uses to declare to them. It's assumed that because Jude was Jewish, 
and the brother of James. And remember, if you go back to the uh, book of Acts chapter 15, you see this James that is there, and he is part of the leadership in the church in Jerusalem. Actually, the final voice who speaks up in the church of Jerusalem. It's funny because it wasn't Peter who has the last word. It's James, the brother of Jesus, who has the last word in Acts chapter 15 when they're having this discussion, the first council that the church has over circumcision. And so James is there. He's one of the leaders in the church. And because Jude is declaring he's the brother of James, it's assumed that Jude was writing to Jewish followers of Jesus, and he gives them three designations. I just used them a moment ago. They are called, they are sanctified or loved, and they are preserved. Three things that are very important for believers. So the first one is the word called. What does that word mean? Well, called is a designation to the followers of, of, of Christ. Peter calls us the called. Paul always, often uses the word called for us to be able to understand who we are when he's writing to the different churches. Churches and to those, and when he's talking about being called, he's talking about those who have been called to faith in Jesus. How? Through the gospel preaching. We talked about this last week. I hope that you heard the sermon last week. We have been given this ministry of reconciliation, have we not? The scripture says what? The scripture, when Paul was writing, the, the verse that, 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 we, that we landed on at the end was what? That it is as though God, he's given us his ministry of reconciliation, and as though God is calling you, as though God is, is, is beseeching you through us, as though God is calling to you, be reconciled to God. So what happens? When you and I proclaim this gospel, you know what God is doing? He's calling people. He is calling people through us, through the gospel. When the gospel is proclaimed, when we declare to someone, when we share the faith with someone, when we share with them of wh wherever it is, because they may be a person that knows they're a sinner. They may be a person that knows about church stuff. They may be a person that knows, you know, all, all, the, all the different lingo and all that kind of stuff. But when you come to them and you declare to them, listen, you can know all the language, but you need a surrendered life to him. Well, guess what God is doing? God is calling them. When you sit down with someone and you walk them through the gospel, how God is good, how God created all things good, how man rebelled against, against God, how man has tried since that time to get back to God and yet they have fallen short because religion, because activities, because giving, because nothing can make us right before God. Jesus interceded by doing what? Coming to this earth, dying in our place, shedding his blood, rising again, and he calls us to a relationship relationship with him based upon that because he wants to give us a new name. He wants to give us a new identity. He wants to give us a relationship with God that is eternal and eternal life, a relationship that we can walk with him from that day on into eternity. That's what it means to be called. God calls us. You are church. You are the called. Some of you may remember that day clearly. I remember two days. I remember one day being in a church. I never forget this. I remember one day being in a church. I always say this, you know, my mom and, and, and them, they tricked me to go to church. I need a new pair of shoes at the time. I have a job, you know, and so then they were like, hey, if you want a pair of shoes, there's this special youth thing happening. I'm like, ah, whatever. And I convinced two of my other friends to come with me. <laughs> And we were sitting about where Angel and Sonia were sitting, 
And I think that I was sitting where Angel was, so I, was on the, I wasn't on the end cap of the row. I was sitting in. I might have been sitting where Sonny was. I don't remember that part specifically. But I remember the pastor was preaching. And that pastor, as he was preaching, I believe he had a translator because my Spanish wasn't that great. But he was preaching from the sermon, or he was preaching from the Old Testament, the calling of Samuel. And as he was preaching on the calling of Samuel, I felt like I needed to respond because there was something happening when this preacher was talking about Samuel hearing the voice of God and him responding. And I'll never forget when he did the altar call, I looked to my side to see if my friends were going. And because they weren't moved, I didn't move. And I want to tell you I remember this day so greatly. I remember this day so greatly because somehow, it, it, even back in those days, I'm, I'm, I'm putting a little age on myself here. Even back in those days, they were able to record, hello, somebody. And, 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 and the pastor's son kept that sermon. And I, and I was like, hey, man, can I, hear that? can I hear that sermon? And I remember sitting with headphones on with a cassette, hello, somebody. Very vintage we're talking right now. Sitting with a cassette player, headphones, like old school, bawling my eyes out as I heard this sermon because I remembered, man, God was calling me that night, and I didn't respond to him, and he was so merciful to me because there were so many things that happened to me between that night and the night that I gave my life to Christ. It's amazing that I wasn't dead. And I wept and I wept because God was calling me through his gospel. Thank God some other years I responded to that call in an affirmative. The second thing he says is sanctified. And like I said, it can also be translated love. There's debate on which way it goes. But either way, here's what I want you to know. It, it means that we are set apart. Why does this matter? Why, why is it that you can interchangeably use this word for the application here? Set apart means regardless, this is it. It means regardless of the word being loved or sanctified. Here's what you need to know. The fact is God's love is sanctifying and our sanctification is a sign of God's love. Are you here? When God loves you, you know what he does? He sets you apart. And because God loves you, he does what? He sanctifies you. His work in our lives, he sets you apart. When you respond to his call, guess what is happening? This is what should be happening. And listen, if you are not becoming more like Jesus, if you are not dying to your fleshly desires, if you are not growing in a hunger for God's word, a hunger for God's truth, if you are not doing that, if things are not changing, if your mindset is not becoming more like Jesus, you need to ask yourself, am I being sanctified? Am I becoming more like Christ, sanctified by the Father? And then this last one, preserved, preserved, I love that, preserved in Christ Jesus or preserved for Christ. Again, those are semantics, those are little nuances there. Different translations have that that way. Here's the thing, this is what this word preserved means, that's what I want us to focus on. It means carefully watched over and kept. Carefully watched over and kept. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are at work in us doing what? Keeping us 
This is what God is doing. He is keeping us as he is loving us, as he is sanctifying us. He is doing what? He is preserving us. He is preserving us as believers. This is our identity. I love this. Our salvation, I say this often, our salvation, it was secured by Christ and is secure in Christ. Our salvation was secured by Christ on the cross. Again, the gospel makes it clear, I am not the one that, that, that saves myself. I'm not the one who delivers myself. I am a product of God's grace purely. My salvation is a product. It's my salvation. I shouldn't even say my salvation because I, not like it's mine, right? It's the salvation that we have, the common salvation, which is what Jude wanted to write about to encourage the church of this salvation that we have in God is not because we did anything. It's because he did everything. He is preserving us. He is keeping us. Why does this matter? Because when you know who Jude was writing to, you will come to know who you are as well. When you understand who Jude is writing to, these words again echo 2,000 years later. And they say, you, you're the called. You, you're the sanctified. You, you're the preserved. Those words say that, that all of us, that we are the called. We are the loved and sanctified. We are those who are preserved in Christ. We are kept by the Lord. Knowing Jude's audience is faith building. The last thing. I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, how should Jude's letter help us? Again, you guys are doing great with the questions today. How should Jude's letter help us? When we read this, this book and we spend time in this book, and you know, the reason why I, I take time like to, to, to do all of this with you guys, to, to break down these two verses is because I want you to know that there is so much richness in God's word that if we just spend time, if we unplug ourselves from the busyness of life, man, you can see the, the beauty. Just I mean, just spend time in two verses. Just spend, Listen, this is not like a sprint. Like, man, I got to read through the Bible in a year. Listen, I love to do that. You know, I love to make that goal. And, and I'll be, I'm, listen, can I confess? I'm going to confess to you right now. I've never made a year, law, a year Bible reading plan. I'm just going to confess it right now. Hello. I start well, you know. I get off track. I still have my Bible reading plan from 2000 and what was it? 2019, glory to God. I still got like 60 days left on that thing. Listen, it's not about a sprint. I'm not trying to justify myself. Right? But man, what we need to do is we need to sit down and we need to meditate on God's word. We need, we need to ingest God's word spiritually. We need to let God's word renew our minds. God, what are you saying? Not what you're saying to me. What are you saying? What are you communicating? So what should this book of 25 verses do for us? We have so many other long, big books but what should this little book do for us? Well, when we look at this, here's what Paul said. I mean, um, Jude says in verse 2, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Here's what I want to say to you. You will never defend the faith you don't have. You will never defend the faith you do not have. What was Jude doing? Jude was saying, listen, man, I, I want to write to you about this common salvation, but, 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 but I got to write to you about defending this faith. 
I got to write to you because what? Because we have to have a faith that we're willing to defend. We, and if we don't have that faith, we won't defend it. It's like if you don't have a family, you're not, who, who are you going to defend? You, you, don't defend? you don't have anybody to defend. They're not my family. They don't matter to me. But when you have family, guess what? You're ready to go fist to cuffs with anyone who tries to step to your family. Like there's something, in, I mean, I, I, is, is this just me? I don't, I don't know. Is it like, 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 like some, like, you know, the moms in the room, y'all know what's up. Like, like mama bear comes out, no matter how quiet, no matter how nice and timid the mom may seem, let someone mess with her babies. Come on now, you're about to see it. You're about to see it go down because something rises up. That's my, ba- those are my, ch- listen, I can beat them. You cannot. Hello, somebody. Right? <laughs> I can correct them. If you guys were in the, in the men's thing, and for all the men that are not there on Saturdays, listen, I encourage you, come out. It's never too late. Join us Saturday mornings from 8 o'clock to 9.30. We're talking about stepping up. But um, Pastor Loritz, you know, Crawford Loritz, he was talking about his dad. He said he remembers one day he was at school, and his dad was there. Uh, I mean, he, not his dad wasn't there. He was at school, and it was, it was a camp or something like that. And his, his, um, the, the, the counselor um, roughed him up or something like that, or, you know, did he did something crazy. And so what the father did, he came home, and he told the father. It wasn't, like, abusive. It was just over the line, like, you know, that type thing. So he comes home, tells his dad what's up. His dad is like, okay, let me verify. He's like, he verified. My father was a wise man. He knew I could embellish stuff and, you know, make things exaggerated. He said, and my father went down there, and he said, basically, he said, I won't tell you what my dad did. He said, my father was not a violent man or anything like that. But he made sure to tell this guy, basically, listen, this will be the last time you ever put your hands on a Loritz. So a man who wasn't overly violent or anything like that, he had a family to protect. And because of that, he was what? He was moved to defend his family. It's the same thing with our faith, church. If you don't have real faith, you have nothing to defend. When you have faith, guess what? Some things are going to offend you. And you are going to want to be vocal. Now, let me tell you, you got to be wise, be wise, be wise. Every fight is not worth fighting. I, I, I love the response or, or, or the, 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 um, the meme, you know. You don't have to respond to every tweet, right? You don't, you don't have to respond to every post. You don't, you don't have to be the defender. Uh, you, know, you don't have to do that. But if you have a faith, guess what you're going you're gonna to want to? You're going to want to rise up. You're going to want to speak up. You're going to want to do those things. But here's what happens. Growing faith is understanding, experiencing God's mercy God's peace and God's love in an abundant way. He says what? Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. His prayer, his hope is that through these words that mercy, peace, and love would be multiplied to his, to, to his readers, to his recipients of this letter. So what should Jude's letter do for us? Well, number one, Jude's letter should build our faith in who Jesus is historically. Again, I already shared this with you earlier. It should build our faith. Wait, Jude was a denier of his brother. He was a denier of everything that his brother said he was while on earth. And yet when his brother resurrected, he became a servant. He became a slave of Christ. That's a historical reference. Don't miss that. Doesn't have to be some long written out thing. This is the brother of Jesus. You want to talk about history? Let's talk about history. Historical reference, Jude's letters should give us a better understanding of who we are in Christ and God's care for us, should it not? 
The words we just read should give us a better understanding of who we are. And the third thing that we'll deal with in the next few weeks, Jude's letters should, should spur us on to defend the faith in the midst of deception, in the midst of opposition, and in the midst of confusion. In the midst of the moment that we are living in, the book of Jude should spur us on to say, my beloved, my son, my daughter, you should hear the father say, defend the faith. Defend the faith. At all costs, no matter what the opposition is, no matter what the deception is, no matter what the confusion is, be a defender of the faith. It should be noted that since the time Jude was written almost 2,000 years ago, check this out now, the enemy has been seeking to infiltrate the church through false teaching. Church, you have to, we have to understand this. What we're seeing today nothing new. What is happening, and I'm, I'm not talking, I'm, I'm being specific right now about the church. I'm not talking about our nation as a whole. I'm talking about the church specifically. The only thing is, 2,000 years later, we've become less discerning. 2,000 years later, we have ignored, and when I say we, I'm talking collectively as those professing Christ, we have ignored the fact. We have decided that, we, man, you know, we're not even going to check history. I told you, you know, about go back, you know, Google Dr. Fauci, look at all the stuff that he said, and you'll see the contradictions here and there. All of that stuff will happen to you. But here's what has to happen for us. When you start hearing someone say, this is truth. When you start hearing someone say, this is what the Bible teaches, this is the heart of Jesus, you need to put a pause and a time out, especially when it's not something that you've ever heard before. I don't care if it made you cry. I don't care if it made you feel some kind of way inside. I don't care if it bore witness. I don't care about all that. Because you know what? There's plenty of people who bore witness and were deceived and led astray throughout history. You know why? Because we don't study history. Listen, I can say first, hand, hand up, I am not a history buff. I'm not that dude. I, I don't get all excited to, you know, I, I get excited to, you know, hear about historical things that happen. But reading history, no. No. <laughs> never, what was never my thing. History is important, though. Because when we look back, we can say, wait a second, these, these lies have been around a long time. These are, they're just repackaged. They're just put in a PowerPoint. Now they're put on a meme somewhere. Or they're uploaded on a video into the YouTube University. Hello. And all of a sudden, because someone has a following of a million people and someone has a voice that people are quoting, and you get, oh, wait, wait a second, is that truth? Wait, I don't know, is it truth? Can we, can we go into the truth? Because we got to defend the faith. See, what should happen is this. Because that is a reality, we must be aware of and we must be on the lookout for and we must be prepared to defend the faith. And this is the subtitle of this series, to defend the faith against all enemies foreign and domestic. Come on now. I'm not talking about patriotism and all that. That's not what I'm talking about. I put that in there intentionally. People be like, oh, there's another nationalist. Hello. Not at all. There's enemies that are outside of the church. There's enemies that are inside of the church. And we have to defend the faith no matter what. Listen, I have no issue with, with, with um, the, the patriotism and all that good stuff. For some reason, we live in a day where it's like you can't be a patriot and a Christian at the same time. I'm not, I'm not talking about the New England patriots either. Hello. 
<laughs> I know some of you, that's like sacrilegious. How can you be a fan? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I, I, I'm not. I just... But I'm proud. I'm, I'm proud. Listen, I'm proud to be an American. Someone say amen. I, I think we live on, in the greatest country, not, not wanting to know the great. I think we do. We have opportunities here that other people don't have. We have people that are sitting in this place that have, that have given their lives, have put their life on the line to defend this country. And I, I, listen, I'm all about that. I'm grateful for that. But I'm a Christian before I'm an American. Hello? I'm a defender of the faith before anything else. I'm a follower of Christ. That's what we're supposed to be. And so here's my closing question for you in this. Are you confident in defending the faith? Are you confident in defending the faith? There's no wrong answer to that. Are you sure? Like some of you are not quiet because you don't want to argue. You're quiet because you don't know what to say. You don't know what the right thing is. And it's, listen, we live in some confusing times. That's the reason why being together with brothers, sitting down and having dialogue, whether it's via Zoom, whether it's in a small group, whether it's in a park somewhere, being around the brethren, so important. Because we can help each other. We can help each other continue to contend for the faith. If you're in here and you say, man, I'm not, I'm not confident defending the faith, I want to pray for you today. If you're in here and you say, I am confident defending the faith, I want to pray for you today. Because we both need prayer. Because sometimes the ones that are so confident defending the faith, man, they are so prideful, insensitive, and they don't make defending the faith look as gracious as Jesus did. Because know this, Jesus defended the faith. Jesus was bold in the face of opposition and deception. And yet we all want to be like Jesus, amen? Let's bow our heads, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for my brothers. Thank you so much for my sisters in this place today. Thank you for your word that is true. And thank you, Jesus, for a faith that is defendable. I pray for those in this place that struggle to defend the faith, that don't know what to say in certain moments, aren't sure even what they should say, if they should say anything. I pray for boldness. I pray for wisdom. I pray for great strength. I pray for a personalized faith, Lord God, that stands firm upon truth and stands up for what is right. I pray for those of us that are confident in defending the faith. And I say us because, Lord, I am one of those that can easily let my head get in the way of my heart. I can easily be harsh and insensitive. I can easily be dismissive and not compassionate. So, Lord, above all things, I pray that we would be a people who defend this faith, no matter what it cost us. That we would do it in the grace that we see in our Lord and Savior, who never cowered in the face of deception, who never bent the truth in the name of love. 
but was filled with grace and truth. Lord God, help us to be imitators of Christ in this. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you give the Lord a hand of praise? He's worthy. He is worthy.